Hello and welcome to this week's podcast from the Veg Grower Podcast. My name's Richard and I'm trying to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and garden. Today I'm starting on the Saturday the 8th of January and I'm in my greenhouse at home. I'm in the greenhouse at home because it is absolutely tipping it down outside. There is just so much rain that I planned to do a lot of work outside today, but I just can't do it. It's just too wet. In fact, my garden is a bit of a quagmire. Because I'm on a clay soil, the water is just sitting on the top and not really going anywhere. So it's a, a little bit annoying but that means I've had to come into the greenhouse. Now what I've done today, I've emptied all my pots out of the greenhouse and just moved those outside and cut down my tomatoes. We had a really good frost here uh, just a couple of days ago and it's the first frost that we've actually had and that meant that this greenhouse had just got cold enough that finally my tomatoes have been killed off. So I've moved all those tomatoes I made sure everything was pretty much empty and I set about just cleaning down all my surfaces, my windows and everything else. Now I just use a bit of water and a, a good scrubbing brush. I don't use steriliser. I don't like the use of steriliser, especially when it gets into the soil. I think that just does too much damage to the soil, in my opinion. Some people will use it. It's not for me. I just find a good scrubbing brush is all I need and some good water. Once it was all washed down, I brought in some compost and just mulched around the beds, around the sides, just to give it a good mulch and get it all set up for this growing season. Then I brought back in the pots that I put outside earlier. These are my peach tree, my lemon tree, my banana tree that I just like to protect over the winter. Brought those back in. And I've added into the pots the tubes from my automatic watering system that I have in here. My Irrigator Flow Pro C6, I think it's called. I have that in here. It waters my uh, plants in here without me having to do anything. I find it a brilliant way to keep on top of watering. And it does a good job. Um, especially in the summer, I've got to say. So that that's basically now got my greenhouse all set up and ready to go for this growing season now it does look like we've got a bit of a break in the weather outside so i'm going to run outside and tend to my rhubarb and you're going to hear all about growing rhubarb next There's one vegetable that we have been self-sufficient in for a number of years. In fact, to the point that we probably produce too much of it, and that is rhubarb. Now, we do have about six or seven crowns scattered all over the place. So that is probably why we produce too much rhubarb. But you know what? Rhubarb is fantastic to grow. Not only does it taste great in a kitchen used in crumbles or ice cream, but it's a perennial, so it grows back year after year. Plant it once and leave it in the ground. It's easy to look after, not needing much care. It's very, very hardy, almost impossible to kill rhubarb. And added to that, I also think that it looks great in the garden as well. 
Now, it is possible to grow rhubarb from seed, but it's something that I've never done in the past. I will be doing it this month as an experiment to try and see how we get on with it. But generally, we buy rhubarb in the form of crowns from a garden centre. Rhubarb crowns are basically pieces of root that are dormant and just waiting to get into the ground and get growing. Later on in the season, it is also possible to buy a pot of rhubarb ready to go that is alive and growing. If we've got our rhubarb crown, we need to prepare the bed beforehand. Ideally, rhubarb likes to be somewhere where it's open and sunny and free draining and plenty of organic matter added to the bed. So plenty of horse manure is a very good one to dig into the soil in preparation for taking in rhubarb. It is possible to grow rhubarb in pots, but they do need to be large, at least 50 centimetres big across the top. Ideally bigger. They do take up a fair bit of space. Now, if the bed is prepared with plenty of organic matter, plenty of compost, then go ahead, dig a hole and drop in your crown and then fill up the hole with the soil. That is it planted. Very easy. Keep it well watered and pretty much from about March, April, depending on the variety, you will start to see the rhubarb shooting from the soil. There are earlier varieties, of course, so have a look around at what variety you want and just work out if you want an earlier or later variety. Once planted, we're not going to harvest any rhubarb in its first year. We're going to let it establish. So what I recommend you do during the first year, just make sure that it is well watered and never dries out. I would also add a mulch of something like grass clippings from sort of spring onwards just to help keep that moisture in the soil. This is particularly important if it's in pots because pots do generally dry out a lot quicker. Late autumn to winter, the rhubarb will start to die back. Don't worry, it's perfectly normal. Just allow it to die back. I would also add some compost around the soil just to add a bit of feed to it during this time as well. But do not mulch the crowns. The crowns do benefit from getting a bit of a, a cold hit them. In the second year, we can then start harvesting our stalks just by simply pulling away any stalks that come easily away from the crown. What I like to do is put my hand down as low as it can get and give it a tug. If it comes away easy, it's ready. If it's not coming away easy, I give it a little bit longer. Like I say, that is it. That is all we have to do to grow rhubarb. Leave it in the ground, add in plenty of compost once a year, mulch it, keep it well watered and pretty much every year you can guarantee you will get rhubarb. Once you hit the five-year period, the crowns could do with splitting into three pieces with the middle piece being thrown away and the two outer pieces being replanted. Not something that definitely I've done much of in the past, to be honest. I probably should do it a bit more. But after five years, they do tend to go a little bit woody, which is why we do this. That being said, something that I'd done today, and unfortunately it was too wet out there when I was doing this to record anything, and that is I have pulled over a large black bin over one of my rhubarb crowns. Now this rhubarb crown is about four years old, so it's it's got this year that it is being forced. And what that does, by shutting out the light, it forces the rhubarb to grow a little bit earlier and produces these long pink sweet stems 
Now, these are much sweeter tasting than normal rhubarb. So it's going to be exciting to see just how well that turns out. In fact, this method was what made rhubarb popular with the Victorians because before this, they couldn't stomach it. And that's why rhubarb is now popular. This forcing produced sweeter stems. Now I'm doing that on this four-year-old crown so that this winter I can then divide it and it's not going to do it any harm. If you were to force your rhubarb you would have to give it a year to recover because it does use up a lot of the plant's energy. Now in terms of problems I don't really get many problems with rhubarb. Sometimes in the summer I find we get a bit of a flower stem and that's usually indicating that the rhubarb is becoming stressed now that could be due to lack of water changing weather uh, anything like that and when i get that flower stalk as soon as i see it i just remove it that way it doesn't go to seed and doesn't really cause me any problems apart from that i never get many other problems and like i say I do get some really good rhubarb and plenty of it. Well, there we go. That's how to grow rhubarb. Let's get back to find out what I've been up to this week. It is Sunday the 9th of January 2021 today. I'm down on the allotment and it has been a beautiful day today. Compared to yesterday where it just rained and rained and rained. Today the sun has been shining. It has been beautiful and it's been a great day to get down on the allotment. Now one of the things that I came down the allotment to do was just have a good tidy up. So I brought my strimmer down and I went around the grass areas and just strimmed all the grass right down. Would have been good to get the lawnmower down here, but unfortunately I don't think the lawnmower is going to be good enough. It's just still too wet. But the strimmer has done the job for me. Now, talking of the wetness, the ground itself is still very, very wet. In fact, if I step on the mud, I, I do tend to sink in. So not really able to do a huge amount of work in any of the beds. So I have removed a few weeds here, there and everywhere as I can. But the main thing I wanted to do was just go around and just tidy a few things up. Over the last couple of weeks where things have been blown around, things have just got a little bit messy, especially when I haven't been down here. It all just needed tidying up and I'm pleased I've done it because I think it's just got the allotment looking in a much better way for this week moving forward. Now I'm going to go and prune some of my trees and bushes while I'm down here but for that I have prepared a little guide on how to prune some of our trees at this time of year and that you can hear right now. When it comes to pruning I think it's viewed as a tough task and it also seems a little bit counterproductive. But the truth is, pruning is actually quite easy and it goes on to help produce better crops. Now, all I want to say, first of all, I do not prune any stone-fruited trees throughout the winter months. The risk of them catching a particular disease over the winter months just rules it out. So my peaches or my cherries will not get pruned throughout the winter months. However, apples and pears, I can guarantee I will always prune those in the winter months reason i do that is that there are no leaves on the tree so it makes it a lot easier to see the actual branches to see what i really want to do 
Now, the first thing I look for is the free Ds, and these are always pruned first. The free Ds are dead, diseased, or damaged branches. So I look for those, and once I identify those, I'll take my secateurs if the branches are small, loppers if they're a bit bigger, and maybe even a saw. And I will cut those back. Now, when it comes to cutting them back, I like to take the branch and go back to where it connects to the next branch and then just cut that about a centimetre or more away from that joint so you get a bit of a collar left on the, the remaining branch. I hope that makes sense. It's a little bit difficult to describe. There's lots of videos if you want to uh, go and check that out. Now, once I've removed all the free Ds, what I will then look for are any branches that are crossing. Now, the reason I go for that is that if they're crossing, they're going to rub up against each other and possibly cause some damage. So I will look for those and remove the branches that are crossing. And then I will just stand back and take a good look at the shape and overall and prune more if necessary. The idea with pruning is to actually allow air and light through the tree in order to get better fruit. Once that's done, I do like to wash all my tools down just to make sure I'm then not going to spread any diseases. Now, gooseberries and currants are next on to prune. Now, when it comes to these, the ideal shape is a goblet shape evenly spaced branches that come out from the center and then go up to form a goblet shape i think that looks good but it's also very helpful in producing fruit now first of all again i do these in the winter when there are no leaves on the branches because it makes it easier to see and the first branches that i will be looking to cut out again is the free these dead diseased or damaged branches i always start with these three because well they're not going to do anything so they've got to come out regardless once the three d's are removed i then stand back and just look for any branches that are going to be four years or older and they're black currants in which we want to remove any branches that are three years or older the reason I say this is that black currant will fruit on wood that is one or two years, whereas all the other currants and the gooseberries tend to fruit on wood that is two or three years old. And once they reach that four-year-old period, they're not going to produce any more fruit. So we've removed the 3Ds, we've removed the older branches. Now what we're going to look for is just any of the branches that are in the centre or going into the centre to ruin that goblet shape. And then finally, we're just going to look for any suckers around the base and remove those. Once it's done, just stand back and look again and have a check over and make sure you're happy with the overall shape and condition of your plant. It's very easy to do, just got to be confident and go for it. But once it's done, it will go on to help produce a lot better fruit and have a better looking plant. Right, let's get back to what I've been up to this week. It is Monday the 10th of January 2021 and this is the final diary piece 
for this week's podcast. And I'm in the podding shed in my back garden. And I'm in here because I'm just pricking out some of my chilli seedlings. Now these chilies were sown in December. And they took a while to really germinate. But now they are well underway. They're big enough to handle. I want to get them into individual little pots. So that they can grow on and go a little bit bigger. In the past I've used my root trainers. But what I moved on to last year is these little reusable pots that almost make like plug plants. And I've just filled that up with multi-purpose compost. And now what I'm doing is just separating, using a little dibber, separating each chili seed. We're trying to hold on to its leaf, not its stem. And then dibbing a tiny little hole into the multi-purpose compost and drop it in and firm it down just to make sure it is in good contact. Now I, these will need a bit of heat so they're going to go into a heated propagator and they're going to need lots of light so they're going to have to go somewhere where they get plenty of light. But I think we're going to get a good amount of chilies out of this. I'm very happy about that because I do like lots of chilies. Now that's all I'm doing this evening a little bit of a, a, a nice easy job. Uh, this coming week we've got lots in the pipeline, lots of things that we want to do, um, which you're going to find out next week, of course. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then perhaps you might want to become a member of my supporters club. Head to the veggrowerpodcast.co.uk to find out more. But basically, by becoming a supporting member, I charge £5 a month. Each month you get a collection of seeds delivered through your door, along with a newsletter. And added to that, you get extra podcasts directly from me. Just chatting about what I've been up to, what I'm doing, what my thoughts are. It goes a long way to help support this podcast and keep it running, which is a big help. You may not want to become a supporting member for whatever reason, but perhaps you would be kind enough to leave me a review on your podcasting service. That also goes a long way to help me be found and get a bigger audience. If you have any questions or anything you want to add, head to the veggrowerpodcast.co.uk, leave a voicemail or leave a comment on the blog post, or you can email me, richard at the veggrowerpodcast.co.uk. You can find me on social media where it'd be great to get a follow, a like, a subscribe, or whatever it may be, uh, which goes a long way to help as well. Um, and you can send us a message on whatever social media platform you use as well. I think that just about sums up all the housework that I have to do at the end of each show. So until next time, please take care. <laughs>